Welcome to the Talk Marketing Analysis for Life Sciences podcast with Covalent Bonds. I'm your host, Laura Brown, and I am Chief Effectiveness Officer here at Covalent Bonds HQ. In this podcast, we explore marketing and media analysis for life sciences, touching on topics from marketing data to our guests' biggest marketing failures and successes, because it is in learning from others that the magic happens. Today, we are joined by Jim Heron, Senior Manager for Marketing and Strategy at Thermo Fisher Scientific. Jim's career has seen him leading marketing teams in biosciences, pharmaceuticals, and software. His particular passion is on using data to drive marketing decisions which makes him the perfect interviewee for this podcast. Hi, Jim. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks, Laura. Happy Uh, to be here. I'd really appreciate it if you could give a quick overview of your role within Thermo Fisher. The Thermo Fisher Scientific is the world leader in serving science. And what we help our customers do is accelerate their research, solve complex analytical problems, and improve patient outcomes. And ultimately, we're looking to help our customers make the world healthier, cleaner, and and safer. Within Thermo Fisher, so it's a a vast company, uh, $24 billion revenue and and over 70,000 employees. So I work in a business unit called spectroscopy and lead the marketing team here. If there's a material, we we can usually test it. What are your three most important elements that you do on your day to day? I'm a strong believer that great teams produce great results. And so I think my top priority is to make sure we have a culture where our team members trust each other. Mm -hmm. They're not afraid to disagree with each other. And they're ultimately committed to the same set of goals. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, on a day-to-day basis, that can take on a lot of different forms. But really, it's about creating that the right environment for creativity, for coming up with great ideas and not being afraid to challenge each other a bit. A couple other things that stand out, you know, I think a big part of my job is to ensure that we act with purpose and with strategy. There's a real tendency in marketing to sometimes jump straight to tactical decisions. Mm -hmm. You know, we need a flyer, we need an email blast, we need to attend this trade show. And sometimes if if we forget and we don't step back and ask, what are we ultimately trying to accomplish, the the tactical approach tends to fall short. So we really emphasize in our team spending a significant amount of time analyzing customer needs and putting together some really robust marketing plans. We just tend to see much better results when we've thought things through built a strong plan, and we know the reason behind the tactics, the why behind the tactics, mm-hmm. rather than just reacting all the time. So I'd like to explore that a little bit. And I know that you said you have a, a third point that's a, a major focus, but before we move yeah. on to that, so you mentioned specifically analyzing customer needs. How do you go about that on a practical level? You know, at a practical level, I think first and foremost, it's spending time with our customers. It's getting to see them in their natural workspace. So oftentimes we get a chance to talk with customers at conferences and trade shows and seminars, but there's something more powerful about visiting them in their lab or in the field where they're actually using the instrument and can talk about the the challenges they face, the pain points they experience. And you see it 
firsthand without having that firsthand customer knowledge or firsthand exposure to what your customers are dealing with. It's really hard to gain a full appreciation to the problems that you're trying to help them solve. Yeah, good point. So in terms of your strategy development, sort of what processes do you go through to get all of your teams thinking in that strategic approach rather than just jumping straight to tactics? Sure, good question. So it really starts with our business strategy. Before we can get into how is marketing going to, or what is marketing going to drive and what are we going to prioritize, we have to work across the various functions of our business and determine what is it in the next few years that our business is looking to accomplish, and then how does marketing support that and help drive that strategy. So there's a tight connection between business strategy and marketing strategy. Mm -hmm. Then it really gets to any conversation that we have around marketing strategy starts with who. It's who are we trying to reach and who are we trying to target with our marketing messaging and really getting to building out a good, robust customer persona for that audience that we're trying to reach. What other tools or techniques do you do for really understanding the personas? It's a mix of primary and secondary research, I would say. We, in addition to spending direct time, FaceTime with the customer, there's a lot of that we can gain from market research, either working firsthand with with research partners or using various reports that do some of that work for us. Mm -hmm. It's really, you know, trying to get a a 360 degree view of the customer from firsthand experience and from maybe what the research partners can provide. The challenge, I think, is balancing what you hear Mm one-to-one with what the broader market is telling you. If you only rely on your one-to-one conversations with customers, you, you may be missing the broader market or elements of the broader market. So I think it's important to combine your firsthand experiences and conversations with customers with broader market studies and broader research initiatives that ensure that you're not just looking at a unique problem that one customer is facing and are capturing really the dynamics of the full market. Oh, I I get it. It's one of the the values that we focus on a lot here. We call it listen to anecdotes, but act on data. So you can use one to drive the other. And it's very interesting. So linking to that, what kind of data do you use to inform this as well? So marketing data, for example, sales data? Yeah, I think one of the one of the great things about doing marketing today as opposed to maybe 20, 25 years ago is because we use so many digital communication channels to reach our customers today, we can test and acquire data from our marketing programs much quicker today than we could when we were relying on print and direct mail and some of the uh, channels that, while maybe still viable, aren't used as frequently today. So, you know, we really try to have an experimentation mindset in marketing where take a small amount of time and a small amount of money to test an approach. And if it works, you scale that up. If it doesn't, you're not in so deep with the, the time and money you've spent that you can't uh, adjust and try it again with a different approach. Mm -hmm. I think it gets back to the whole idea in marketing that you're always going to have your failures and 
if you make those failures small and quick, you can adjust quickly and turn them into successes. Mm-hmm. And I like how that ties back to what you were saying earlier about building a team that aren't afraid to challenge because it's the same thing. So you're willing to take a risk, you're willing to challenge, but if it doesn't go right, then how do you learn from that? Exactly. Yep. Yeah, I, I like that a lot. So before we dive further into some of these topics that we've touched on today, I just want to bring us back to that third main element of your job role that we were going to touch on. I think the third area is really how we use data on a day-to-day basis. The challenge today is not so much having access to data. It's what can we do with it and what data really is meaningful to us. There's a lot of analytics and metrics out there that we can track that don't necessarily tell us whether a program is successful or not, or may not tell enough of the story. So we try to spend less time on compiling data and more time on analyzing it, turning it into insights, and then taking building action plans. We're looking at the performance metrics of various campaigns and tactics that we're driving on an ongoing basis and really looking to pivot our approach based on what the data is telling us. And this happens really in real time And so we become a lot more agile in our marketing approach. Mm -hmm. We have a good plan going into a given quarter or a given year, but we, with data, can pivot much more quickly. With this constant flow of data, we're able to adjust and make changes to our messages, make changes to the channels we're using to communicate the message to ultimately make the program or the campaign much more successful. I love that. So let me ask you, we were talked a little bit about strategy development earlier on and tying your marketing objectives to the business objectives. How do you incorporate data planning into that? So how do you incorporate what you're going to report and what data you need to be able to prove whether something's working or not? Yeah, good question. I think it starts with having a clear definition of what we would deem success to look like. You know, at a high level, our task in marketing is to grow our business. But there are a lot of earlier indicators in the data that will tell us if we're going to be successful. And with a business like ours, we we tend to have longer sales cycles, sometimes over a year. Mm-hmm. And if we're simply measuring ourselves on the direction that our revenue is going, we've probably missed a lot of signals along the way that would have told us earlier whether the the marketing initiative was successful or not. So Mm -hmm. we try to look at data at various stages of a sales funnel or of a customer journey to be able to catch earlier on when are we successful and when are things maybe tracking the wrong direction. So you mentioned about defining what success would look like. Is that defined by you and your teams or does that come from sort of higher up the company, whoever you report to? Yeah, good question. I think it's collaborative. So, you know, in in marketing, we obviously have stakeholders in our commercial organization with sales reps and sales managers, Mm -hmm. as well as in our product line teams with product managers and product marketers. And between those functions, we're really trying to get a common agreement of what we're trying to accomplish. And in addition to that, getting a common agreement of 
what are the metrics that will tell us if we're reaching that goal or not? If we have that agreement up front and we're looking at the same data across these three different functions, you tend to spend less time debating and using opinion on mm-hmm. whether we're being successful or not and can use facts mm-hmm. on what's working, what's not working, and where do we need to adjust. Hallelujah. <laughs> that is something that we bang on about all the time. So I love that you're saying that. <laughs> you know, Laura, I mean, everybody has an opinion about how to do marketing, right? Yeah. And it's why we have so many conversations with internal stakeholders. I think it was something that early on in my career, I never really had an appreciation of how much of your time as a marketer is spent aligning with internal stakeholders mm-hmm. versus just going out and trying to reach the customer. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And and I think part of it is because marketing has a mixed perception, especially in the scientific world, where because people haven't embraced metrics and data in marketing, it comes with a little bit of cynicism about the potential impact of it. So I don't know whether you see that internally at Thermo or have seen that over your career. Absolutely. I mean, I, I can think back to earlier on in my career, I was with a biotech startup and you know, you really did marketing on gut feel mm-hmm. more back then. And, you know, when you when you take that approach, your opinion versus the opinion of a, a regional sales leader or the opinion of a product management leader, who's to say who's right and who's wrong? Mm-hmm. Today, we have data that as long as we're agreeing on what needs to be tracked and what signal, what data is going to provide the signals on whether things are working or not, that's an easier conversation. And I think it's also changed the dynamic of how marketing is perceived in scientific companies. You know, scientists are used to working with data all the time to help give them a yes or no answer on whether an experiment was turned out the way they expected or or didn't expect. Mm -hmm. In marketing now, the approach is much more scientific. We have a lot more data to work with. We don't have to rely so much on gut feel and past experiences. And I think that changes the way marketing is perceived as a unique skill within a scientific company. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. So how much in terms of the reporting and the communication internally, do you present the data or do you have to do a lot of translation of that data for your internal stakeholders? Yeah, it's both. With time, we've educated a lot of our stakeholders on what the various marketing metrics mean and what is it exactly that they're tracking. So I think our stakeholders in sales and in product management now have a deeper understanding of which marketing metrics are valuable and which might be noise or just be small indicators of whether something's successful or not. But yeah, there's always a level of interpretation that needs to be done. It's really important for us to have both leading and lagging indicators when we're looking at the data. When we look at analytics like bookings or revenue that occur at the end of the sales cycle, we want to understand why we reached that result. Mm -hmm. And without tracking some of the earlier indicators that you can collect through digital marketing channels, you may be too late in changing course if something's not working. Mm So it's that tracking that occurs from initial awareness all the way down to the final booking or sale. Having 
indicators at various stages of that journey is really important. So that's interesting because that's attribution modeling. Do you have a set model that you apply or do you just look at the data and look at trends? We're getting a little bit more sophisticated now with some of the technology that we can use to help us apply attribution. Just looking at traffic to your website can be a really misleading metric sometimes. Mm -hmm. You can fake your way to higher web traffic simply by applying a few different tactics that may get a lot of clicks and no real conversions. Mm -hmm. So it's understanding what set of analytics is really giving you meaningful insight and what set is maybe helpful to understand a trend but not really telling us the full picture. So what would you recommend are the ones that really give you the insight and which are the ones that just give you those high-level trends? It's really looking at the conversion points. It's what data tells us that a customer is moving one step closer to purchase. And I think if we look at it, I think there have been studies out there that say now that customers tend to do 70% of their buying journey before they even talk with a sales rep. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of stages in that zero to 70% from the initial awareness of a solution to wanting to have a conversation with the sales rep. And there are conversion points that we can track along the way that tell us that the customer is one step closer to that conversation with a sales team member. Yeah. So how do you define those conversion points? Is that done within the marketing team or is it done with, with sales as well? It's a combination of both. And as, as we get closer to that point where the customer wants to speak with a sales rep, there's more agreement and alignment with sales on what data indicators tell us that that's the case. Would you be willing to share what those are? Yeah. You know, again, it gets to signals that the customer is moving closer to a purchase. So for us, being an instruments business, most of our products are sold through a direct sales rep or through Mm -hmm. a dealer or distributor. And as a result, a lot of our digital marketing campaigns are oriented towards getting a lead. Oftentimes today, our approach is using content marketing to bring customers in and get them engaged early on to ultimately buying the product. So salesforce.com is really our tool. Once the customer has become a qualified lead and and we're making that handoff between marketing and sales to nurture that customer all the way to a purchase. Before we reach that point, we're looking at a lot of data provided by our website and provided by the various marketing communication channels that we're using to reach the customer. So Again, there's so many, there's no lack of data at these different stages, but we're looking for the indications that the customer is converting from one step to the next. Mm -hmm. So for an example, when a lot of our marketing is intended to drive customers to thermofisher.com, to various targeted pages that will uh, give them relevant information about the solution they're looking for. Mm-hmm. We can look at data points to see is a customer moving from an initial landing page to more of a conversion point where maybe they're downloading content or maybe they're filling out a web form that tells us that they have interest in this solution. So it's that conversion point from awareness to the next stage, whatever that may be. 
Sometimes mm-hmm. it's a content download. Sometimes it's, I'm ready to talk to sales now. Those are really the data analytics that we're paying close attention to. So what about the offline channels as well? So obviously you do a lot at conferences and you do sort of public relations, that kind of thing. How do you evaluate the impact of those on conversion points? Yeah, it's certainly more challenging. You know, conferences and trade shows is a great example. We still see these as an important part of our overall marketing mix. And some of the metrics that we can get from these types of offline activities are similar. So for instance, we know that we can collect contacts and leads when we have a presence at a trade show or conference. Uh, And there's a common definition, whether that comes in through a digital channel or through an offline in-person channel, like a seminar or a trade show. But we also have to accept that we're not going to be able to measure everything from some of our offline activities. We have to take into account that face-to-face customer engagement is important and valuable, and it's not always something that you can put a a number against. Mm -hmm. So that's where I think having alignment with the people who are going to have those conversations in conferences and in seminars and really understanding what value we place on that face-to-face engagement, that's important because we can't get a full picture from the trackable analytics itself for for those offline activities. Mm -hmm. We may work with outside partners to conduct research to measure whether we're having an impact in a given space. You know, take an example where we're going into maybe an application or market that we haven't emphasized as much in the past. In some cases, there we'll, we'll partner with a research company to interview customers and determine, you know, are we having an impact in changing the customer's perception of Thermo Fisher in that space? It starts out with just establishing a baseline. Mm-hmm. And un- until you have that baseline in place, it's really hard to judge whether you're being successful or not. So, Early on, if we're going to go after a, a major new initiative or, or chase a new market, gathering that baseline data to see where we stand today in terms of customer perception, customer awareness is an important step before we can measure whether we're being successful or not. So are you asked to report on return on investment for your marketing? I think while digital marketing offers us a much more trackable way to analyze the return on investment of our marketing spend, we still know that there's value from the offline channels. And it's really, but it can be challenging for marketers because on the one hand, if you have a channel like digital marketing where you can very concretely define what the return on investment looks like through that channel. And you have to compare that or make a decision on an investment against a channel where you're not going to have as much clarity. There's an obvious temptation to invest in what's known. Mm-hmm. If you know with you know historical data, we've done digital marketing now long enough that we have a pretty good idea of what kind of return on investment we can drive with various levels of spend. It, it's maybe not as clear cut with some of the offline channels. And so you have to balance the, the predictable and expected with the value that you think you can get through some of those more offline channels. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. So I'm going to change things up a little bit now okay. and, and ask a little bit about your route into scientific marketing. Are you a scientist by background? 
Not at all. <laughs> in oh, fact, <laughs> it, no, in fact, I'm definitely not a scientist. I'm a, a marketer and a business major by trade. And, and I've been in the marketing field now for over 20 years. Shortly after I got my undergraduate degree in, in business and marketing, I joined a biotech startup company as an associate product manager. And I was never really all that interested in science. But when I could see firsthand how science was being applied to solve real world problems, I was hooked. And when you can go to work and feel like you're working for a company that is helping to solve some of the world's greatest challenges, that's pretty inspiring and pretty motivating. And it's a fantastic way to drive yourself to get out of bed every morning and know that the, the marketing that you're driving is for a company that is really trying to make a difference in the world. Mm -hmm. Have you seen any specific challenges being a non-scientist doing marketing in this world? Yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, one of the things that I've tried to do in each business that I've been in is to get people to recognize marketing as a valuable skill set in itself. Mm -hmm. I think, you know, I think everybody has an opinion about marketing and there's a perception that anybody can do it. And I think when you start to really dive into it and understand the skill in being able to interpret a customer's needs and turn that into a, a marketing campaign or a marketing message that's going to be compelling, that's going to capture the customer's interest and is going to engage them, mm -hmm. that's a tough skill. And very often in scientific companies like Thermo Fisher, people start out with the technical background and, and try to make the leap into marketing. Mm -hmm. And that's a challenge. I think it's as much of a challenge moving from the technical to marketing as it is moving from the marketing to the technical. And what I found over, you know, being in marketing for 20 years is that there are some fundamentals in marketing that are true, whether you're marketing to a scientist or you're marketing to a consumer or whatever product you're trying to push. Mm -hmm. And those fundamentals aren't always appreciated by people who have less experience in marketing. To pick up on the point you were saying before about those common themes, I guess, that I have seen a lot where scientists believe that marketing to scientists is different because they don't buy in the same way. But actually, everybody is driven by emotion. And it's the same thing each time. And so it's really interesting that you picked up on that. Absolutely. I mean, when you think about it, you're never marketing to an organization. Ultimately, it's going to take one person on the other end of that message, on the receiving end of that message, to take an action to move one step closer to learning more about the solution you're trying to market. There's this perception that B2B marketing is much different than B2C marketing. And I just don't think that that's really the case. In some cases, B2B marketing can be a lot more complex because the number of individuals that you need to affect and you need to motivate to take an action or to move closer to making a purchase, you may have more individuals ultimately that you need to influence, mm -hmm. but ultimately it's going to take one person on the other end of that message to take an action to determine whether your marketing is successful or, or not. And I think you're absolutely right, Laura, that emotion is something that, you know, people sometimes don't want to admit 
that they make decisions on an emotion. It's funny because this is exactly like the amount of times when I've made a decision, I always do these like scorecards. So I score it out so I can make a rational decision, right? And then I suddenly get to the end of it and then I go, I don't like that answer. <laughs> and that's yeah. when you realize it's emotion every time. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's funny because I think one thing that we learned with market research and when you're, when you're talking to scientists is there is anytime you're interviewing a customer about their perception of, let's say, an advertisement or of a marketing message, there's what they're going to tell you. And then there's what they're actually going to do when they see the message. And sometimes those can be two very different things. And I think scientists like to think that they're always going to respond to exposure to marketing, exposure to advertising in a very logical way. But we know that that's not always the case. And that's where the similarities between marketing to a consumer and a business colleague, where the similarities between B2C and B2B marketing are actually a lot closer than, than what people sometimes perceive. Exactly. And it brings back to the conversation we were having earlier about really understanding the customer and building out personas, because it's not just enough to do a survey, for example, so doing the quantitative, because that is where you get the rational answer. Somebody think, has to think about it and then write down their answer. So you have to do the qualitative, asking them to unlock the emotion. But then also overlaying that with how they actually behave. And that's how you really understand somebody's drivers to have all three of those. Absolutely. It's all about what motivates the person that you're trying to reach. Mm-hmm. And if, you're not, if your marketing doesn't address those motivations, doesn't touch on the right motivations, you're going to miss the mark. And I think that that is something that is lost on people when they think that B2B marketing is so different, you never really are selling to an entity. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Now, we've only got a couple of minutes left. So I'm going to ask you a little bit about, we we talked about failure and learning from failure earlier. And I'd just like to ask you about what's your biggest marketing failure during your career? And how did you define that as a failure? And what did you learn from it? All right. I think I've had too many failures to count, really. But uh, (laughs) (laughs) honestly, you know, Failing is a big part of marketing, and I'm a better marketer today and a better leader today because of past failures. And when I look back, the failures that tend to stand out, I, mm-hmm. I try to understand what was the root cause. And more often than not, the root cause of failures was trying to do too many different things at once. Mm-hmm. And I think there's a tendency, especially in a company like Thermo Fisher, as diverse as our customers are from research and all kinds of various industries, there's a tendency and a temptation to try to focus on all of your customer segments and to try to drive marketing kind of peanut butter spread across your whole industry. Mm-hmm. And what we've found is when we're when we have our best successes, it's usually on projects and initiatives where we're really focused, we're putting enough resource time and enough investment into that initiative to make it successful. And when I look back at failures, the common thing that I often see is that it was an initiative that we didn't put enough resource time into, we didn't put enough money into because we were trying to do too many things at once. And so the learning from that is really, as marketers, we have to challenge our stakeholders to help us prioritize. And I know what those critical few initiatives are that we are going to drive to really have impact. 
mm-hmm. because doing 10 things at once just doesn't work in marketing. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. But it also links back to the discussion about personas again, because if you're trying to target too many audiences all at once with one message, it's not going to resonate. So you really have to understand who you're targeting. Absolutely. And I think sometimes we have the misperception that we need to try to appeal to everyone. And there's hardly a product out there where the value to the customer is the same, regardless of what type of lab they're in or what type Mm -hmm. of material they're looking for. So if we don't craft that message to resonate to a very specific individual, then their marketing is going to fall short. Oh, that's fantastic. Exactly. So my final question is we ask all of our interviewees, if there's one question they could ask their peers, what would it be? But before I get your answer, I want to ask you the question that our previous interviewee asked, which is where do you go to get your inspiration for marketing campaigns? The way I look at it is we're constantly being marketed to. We have mobile phones now. We're in a digital age where we're bombarded with information and we're bombarded with various marketing messages, but we're not necessarily always on the cutting edge of marketing trends. And so following the consumer brands and the companies that we're all exposed to and seeing how they're doing marketing is oftentimes just as valuable as seeing what's being done within our industry. And so I'm always watching out for creative approaches on what are the companies that are really getting my attention? What are they doing? And how can I learn from that and apply it to marketing to scientists? Wonderful. Thank you. So what would be your question? If I could ask my peers one question, I'm, I'm always interested in learning about how marketers in a scientific industry work with the other functions in their business whether that's sales, product management, R&D, because there's not necessarily a full appreciation across all of our stakeholders of what value marketing brings to an organization and what a unique skill set it truly is. It can be challenging sometimes to justify investment into new areas. And you're finding yourself having to constantly fight some battles about why you're doing things a certain way. And I'll give you an example, Laura. Mm -hmm. A number of years ago, we did a lot of print advertising. And it was something where it was very tangible for people in our organization to see the marketing, see the imagery, see the message firsthand. And it was very concrete. With digital marketing, the way we get the message to the customer isn't always in a glossy piece of collateral or something as tangible as a printed advertisement. And so it took a long time for us to persuade our organization that investing in some of these channels like search engine marketing, for instance, where you're seeing a a couple lines of text as opposed to a very professionally designed advertisement. Mm -hmm. And the impact that that couple of lines of text can have and how much more impactful that can sometimes be than the glossy, well-designed advertisement, that's something that can be tough to convince stakeholders who aren't as close to the data and aren't as close to or don't necessarily have those marketing skill sets. I think a little bit about as a marketer, if if I was to 
go into the R&D lab and start challenging one of my scientific colleagues about the approach that they were taking on a certain experiment or on a certain test and the look that they would give me coming in as a marketer and trying to make that evaluation. And yet as marketers, we face that all of the time with Mm -hmm. people challenging the approach, challenging us on the tactics we use, challenging us on the messages we use. I appreciate more and more how much data has done for marketing to make those discussions more about facts. But I'm always interested to hear from others who are in marketing jobs about how they show their value to stakeholders outside of the marketing department. Yeah. And and it's so funny because this is such a hot topic right now because there is that disconnect between what your stakeholders want to hear and often what marketers are saying. And half of it is just about translating it into a language that they understand so that they engage in it. But I am so glad that you brought this up as a topic because I think it's absolutely critical, and especially in a scientific world, that we get this right so that people stop talking about marketing as a soft function and realize the impact that it has. Absolutely. Oh, so, Jim, thank you so much. I really appreciate it. It's been really interesting. Yeah, thanks, Laura. I really enjoyed this. 